morning we're going to talk about uh, God's desire for uh, us to be a transformed people, uh, for us to be a people who are more and more like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if, if God were not good, and if God were not kind, and if God were not gracious, for me anyway, God's call to change would feel like an, an oppressive weight. It would be more than I could bear. Uh, but it is his kindness, it is his love that leads me to a place of desire to become more and more like his son. Scripture say it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that draws us to him. So thank you to the worship team uh, for leading us this morning and leading us to a place where we acknowledge that our father is good, he is good, he is good, he is kind, and he is loving. And we need to do that. We need to remind our hearts, we need to speak to our hearts about the goodness of and the loving kindness and the graciousness of our God. And so uh, we want to uh, look into the word this morning together. And uh, before we do that, uh, I want to... Good morning, by the way. I didn't say good morning to you. Uh, before we do that, I want to uh, us to pray together. And uh, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. And so that will be on the screen just in a moment here. All right, hopefully that's not too... Most of you know this anyway, if it's too small, so... Uh, would you pray this with me? So we'll all pray this together in one voice. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I want to begin uh, this morning by uh, sharing a couple of stories uh, that some of you have heard me tell before, but they're a little bit like two contrasting stories. The first story is uh, actually of a man named uh, Louis Zamperini, and it's uh, from a book that I read a number of years ago uh, called Unbroken. Uh, Louis was a, uh, in his younger years, he was uh, a miler. He was a runner. And he qualified for the Olympics in the uh, 1930s. And uh, eventually he was drafted, and he was drafted into the Second World War. And so he went overseas and he fought. And he just had uh, this unbelievable, unbelievably difficult journey. Uh, if you know the story, you know how difficult it was. His plane uh, was shot down, and he was in the Pacific Ocean. And he was on a raft, and he survived on a raft with two other guys. One of the guys eventually died, but he survived on the raft for about 46 or 47 days at sea. And not only did he survive out there, survive the elements and survive the hunger and all of that, but uh, there were sharks that were circling around them every day, 24 hours a day, waiting for them to go into the water. And not only that, but the enemy would fire down. Uh, there was a couple of times where enemy planes would fire down at them, fire bullets at them. And Louis had a choice to make. He was going to hope that he would be missed or he would jump into the shark-infested water and try to escape the bullets, which he, that was the choice he made. So he got down far enough underneath the water that the bullets couldn't hurt him. And at the same time, he fought away the sharks that were trying to eat him. And he did this for 46 or 47 days. Eventually, he, they landed, were washed ashore on enemy territory. They were captured and they were brought into a uh, a prisoner of war camp where he was for quite a long time and every single day he was beaten by the guards 
he was singled out among all the prisoners and he was beaten and he was tortured and he was treated in incredibly inhumane ways day after day week after week month after month eventually of course uh, they were freed and he went back home and his life was a wreck as you can imagine his life was a mess uh, he got married but his marriage was not healthy because he was not healthy and eventually his marriage got to the point where his wife was desperate but his wife in the process was beginning to seek God and she had turned her life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and she begged him to come to a uh, Billy Graham crusade and at first he resisted but finally he gave in just to get her to stop asking so he came to a Billy Graham crusade and he heard Billy Graham present the gospel about Jesus Christ and he was hard-hearted he was angry and at the end when Billy Graham got up and when Billy Graham gave the altar call Louis stood up he walked to the aisle turned on his heel and walked out he was just angry and his wife persuaded him to come another night and so he came to the crusade and he sat through again Billy Graham talked about Jesus and he talked about the good news of the gospel and at the end Billy Graham gave the altar call the invitation for people to turn their lives over to Jesus and Louis did the same thing he stood and he walked out to the aisle and he turned on his heel and he was a walk about to walk out and God grabbed him by the heart and all of a sudden Louis turned on his heel again and he found himself walking towards the front walking towards the altar and he knelt down and he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and in that moment his life was changed forever he went home and he poured out all the booze because he had become an alcoholic and he poured out all of the booze and his life began to change his marriage got more healthy his relationships got more healthy his heart got more healthy because of what Jesus was doing inside of him not long after that he found himself on a plane to go back over to Japan where he was a prisoner of war and he found himself in a room with some of the very guards that had treated him so terribly and had beat him day after day and he found himself looking eyeball to eyeball with them they were terrified and he spoke words of forgiveness and grace to those men a man who had once been incredibly angry and incredibly broken was being put back together and made healthy and whole by Jesus. He lived until he was about 97 years old. He died only about four or five years ago. And he spent the rest of his life talking to people about the change that Jesus in our lives. He moved from a place of extreme unhealth to a place of being more and more and more healthy in his relationship with others and his relationship with God. God can do that in people's lives if we will let him. God can do that. Another story. Uh, one Sunday, uh, I was done preaching, went to the back at the center doors there, and uh, was met by a man I had never met before. And uh, he didn't say hello. Uh, all he said to me, the, he started the conversation with this. He says, Jesus is coming back in 20 minutes. And I said, oh, well, how do you know that, I asked. I, I didn't know what to say. No one had ever said that to me before. And he went on to tell me that uh, Jesus was coming back soon and that my congregation wasn't ready because I wasn't teaching them the word of God. And so we began to have a conversation, and, and, and I got the gist that, uh, that this what probably wasn't going to be a conversation that was guided by love and tenderness and kindness from what he was saying to me. And we talked, and uh, he proceeded to tell me how my preaching was lacking, and then he ended the conversation after I disagreed with him on a few points by telling me that... Uh, that I was neither hot nor cold, and Jesus was spitting me out of his mouth, and then he walked out of the church. And I can imagine that this man knew all sorts of scripture verses. Maybe he knew more scripture verses than I did. 
And maybe he had uh, an idea that he was at a certain level of spiritual maturity or spiritual health. But the fact of the matter is, is that if our lives are not governed by kindness, if our lives are not governed by mercy and by love, then that tells us a whole lot about where our spiritual health is at. In fact, the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that one of the primary, if not the primary indicator of spiritual health that is, that is for us in the scriptures is the way that we relate to and treat other people around us. Sometimes in our minds we equate spiritual health with things like the Bible reading or prayer or even church attendance. And these things in and of themselves, they're good things. They're necessary things for us. But these things are like training exercises. In and of themselves, they are not the chief indicators of spiritual health. They are training exercises to move us to a place of health. And again, in the scriptures, if the primary, if not the primary indicator of spiritual health and spiritual maturity is how we treat people, how we love people, how we honor people around us, the people we live with, the people we work with, the people we worship with, the people we go to school with, the people that we meet on the street, and even the people we don't like very much. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Uh, an author by the name of Peter Schizero, he writes this in his uh, book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He says, when people have an authentic spiritual, ex- when people have authentic spiritual experiences, such as worship, prayer, Bible studies, and fellowship, they mistakenly believe that they are doing fine, even if their relational life is fractured and their interior world is disordered. Their apparent progress then provides a spiritual reason for not doing the hard work of maturing. The New Testament, friends, spends an awful lot of time talking to us about the health of our relationship with those around us. The New Testament spends a lot of time reminding us that how our relationships, our horizontal relationships with one another goes, so goes our relationship with God. How we treat people, how we love people, how we forgive people, how we honor people, how we respect people, the health of those kinds of relationships is a, is a primary and chief indicator of the health of our relationship with God. That's why a number of years ago, when the Board of Elders designed or um, uh, discerned what are the core values of our church, core values of our church are that we want to be a transformed community, that we want to be a missional community, that we want to be a praying community, that we want to be a serving community. But one of the other, the other value that we put for our church is that we want to be a healthy community. That is, that we want to strive to have healthy relationships with one another, relationships that are marked by love and forgiveness and kindness and respect. Because one of the primary indicators of the health of our relationship with God is the health of our relationship with other people and our willingness to pursue that health. Again, with people we live with and people we worship with and people we are in community with in general. Gordon Smith, I remember having a conversation with him 
Uh, Gordon Smith is the president of Amherst University in Calgary. And uh, he was describing to me a couple of uh, uh, older men that he had known for years who had, over time, their hearts had become harder and harder towards people around them, and they become more and more angry. And then he made this comment to me. He says, Jeremy, one of the goals that I have set for my life is this. The older I get, the sweeter I want to become. Okay? The older I get, the sweeter I want to become. I think that is a great uh, goal for spiritual growth. I think that's a great definition of spiritual growth. I think that is a very biblical definition of spiritual growth, of what it means to look more and more like Jesus. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Apostle Paul here, he talks about how we are being transformed, how it's God's desire to transform us, to continue to transform us, to look more and more, ever-increasingly, like His Son, Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. He says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined. What did God predestine us for? He also predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So apparently God has goals for us. And his goal for us is that the way his son, Jesus, loves people would be the way that we love people. The way that God, the way that Jesus, his son, honors people would be the way that we honor people. The way that Jesus forgives people would be the way that we forgive people. The way that Jesus had healthy relational boundaries with people around him be the model by which we relate to other people in a healthy way. So over the next couple of months, we're going to be talking about healthy spirituality. We're going to be talking about healthy relationships, healthy community with one another. We're going to talk about what healthy friendship looks like. We're going to talk about healthy community. We're going to talk about healthy marriages. We're going to talk about healthy sexuality. We're going to talk about healthy conflict in relationships. We're going to talk about relational boundaries that are healthy in our lives. So we're going to talk about all sorts of things and how we relate to one another in a way that is healthy so that we can become more and more healthy in our relationship with God our Father. And this doesn't just happen to us. This is not a passive process in us. This is not, we're not like computers that we put to sleep at night and then through the night they just download their upgrades and in the morning it's a new upgrade. We're not like that. We don't go to sleep and then God, you know, downloads Jesus 2.0 in us and then we're all new and fixed up when we wake up, okay? We're not like that. Yes, Paul says God uh, does this by his spirit, okay? It is the work primarily of the spirit in us. We cannot do it by ourselves. It's not a human project. It's the spiritual transformation that takes place by the power of God, but the scriptures are also very clear that we have a part to play, that we're not passive in this process, that we have to cooperate with God, that we have to do the hard work of walking alongside of God and allowing him to do his transforming work in our lives, in our relationships uh, with people around us. The Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Timothy, he puts it this way. He says this, Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding uh, holding promises for both the present life and the life to come. So Paul says, train yourself. So there's there's something there's a commitment that we have to make. 
for God to do his work in our lives. Train yourselves to be godly. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Okay, so confession time. How many of you have a piece of equipment like this in your home? Okay. And you purchased this piece of equipment because you intended to get into shape, but instead of this being a great piece of exercise equipment, it became... Oh, I know, I know. I'll be done soon. It's okay. honest here this morning? Okay. doesn't just happen overnight. Let me tell you that. So over the next uh, couple of months, we want to do the hard work together of looking at what healthy relationships in our lives looks like and asking God to shine a spotlight into our hearts and cooperating with God and going on a journey with God. And uh, some sermons, some mornings are going to be a bit more relevant to you than other mornings because that is the area where God wants to do his greatest work in your life. But it's going to require us saying yes to God. Yes, God, I'm going to invite you into my marriage because I know my marriage needs to be more healthy. Yes, God, I'm going to invite you into the relationship that I have with my neighbors because I know that they need to be more healthy. It's a matter of saying yes, God, and cooperating with him and training ourselves for godliness. And friends, nothing is more like godliness than when we learn to love people and when we learn to forgive people, and when we learn to uh, treat people with kindness and respect. We are closer to godliness when we move closer to those things. So over the next uh, couple of months, we're going to do this hard work. And so uh, I want to close this message. It's a shorter message this morning. But I want to close this message. I've just been thinking a little bit about uh, the parable of the prodigal son that is in Luke chapter 15. And I just want to close with a few thoughts from that parable. A lot of you know uh, this parable very well. It's a story that maybe you've heard many times before, and there's, m- there's a lot of layers to this story of the prodigal son. But just a couple things that I've been thinking about as it relates to our topic this morning. Uh, just if you don't know the story of the prodigal son, uh, it's a very simple but very profound story. Uh, the, a father has two sons, and the sons are very different from one another. One day, one of the sons comes to the dad and and asks him for his share of the inheritance. Um, And as you can imagine, this was a surprise. You don't do this to your father before he dies, but the father graciously um, decides to give him his inheritance. The son goes off, and he spends all of the money in short order. And then he's uh, in a place of desperation because there's a famine all over, and he has no money left, and so he is desperate. And finally, he's desperate enough to make his way back home. On the way home, he hatches a plan, a plan for his conversation with his dad, because he's really, he's slapped his father in the face, really. He's basically said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me your, my inheritance now. And on the way home, he says this. He says, maybe my dad will even take me back as one of his servants. Maybe my dad will, maybe I could just be one of his servants. 
and he's rehearsing this conversation, and he gets home, and to his surprise, his father receives him graciously and calls him his son, and he throws a party for this lost son. And if you know the story also, the second son, who had been with the father the whole time, he hears what's going on, he hears the music, he hears everything that's going on, he's in the field, he comes in, and he finds out what's going on, and instead of celebrating that his brother, who was lost, is now found and is home, he's angry. He's angry, and he says to his dad, he says, you know, I've been here every day. I've, I've worked for you hard every day. I have never left you, and yet you've never even given me a goat to celebrate with my friends. And this lost son of yours who went and squandered everything and who basically slapped you in your face, you're, th you're throwing a party for him. You're, th you're, you're killing a fattened calf for him. Two contrasting brothers. But here's what I want to say to us this morning. The first son who went away and squandered everything and came back to his father. As he was coming back to his father, he had an incorrect view of his worth in his father's eyes. And that was this. He had a servant's mentality of what his standing would be before his father. He thought, you know what? I may squeak in as one of my father's servants. Maybe. Maybe. But that's all. Why? Because of how I've messed up. Because of what I've, I have done, because of my sin, my father might consider me a servant, but surely not a son. He had an incorrect view of how his father felt about him. He thought, maybe when it comes to rejoining this family, I'm going to be on the outside looking in as a servant, but surely not in the inner circle. But what he found out very quickly was that, was that his position in the family had never changed. His father viewed him as a son, and he would say to him, as he said to the older son, my son, everything that I have is yours. And I want to say to us this morning that some of us here this morning, when it comes to spiritual maturity and getting healthy in our relationship with God, we have an incorrect view of how our Father views us. And maybe when it comes to you and the thought of becoming spiritually mature, you think, that's not for me, that's for other people who deserve it more. That's not for me. That's for other people who are much more ahead in their spiritual journey. That's not for me because look at what I've done. Look at the decisions that I have made in my life. And you have a servant status when it comes to your relationship with God. And God wants you to know this morning that you are not a servant. You are his daughter. You are his son. And everything he has is yours. And that you are not to stand on the outside looking in when it comes to spiritual maturity. You are invited right into the center, and God in his kindness and in his goodness wants to make you more and more like his son. Spiritual maturity and spiritual health is not for other people, it's for you. And it is only because God is good, and it is only because you have a good and kind and gracious father. It has nothing to do. You don't earn your way into spiritual maturity or health. And you can't out-earn your way into spiritual maturity and health because of things that you have done. It's all related to the fact that we have a good, good, forgiving and loving Father.